So you tell me that you're struggling. I guess if I said, is there anyone in the room who's never struggled? It'd be a pretty quiet room. Maybe right now you're saying, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I can do it. I'm not sure. Maybe you even want to, can't believe I'm going to say these words, give up. I mean, you think about taking the easy way out, perhaps. And then you've maybe thought about just, well, I'll just do the least thing I can do. Matter of fact, you may have even or may be contemplating doing the absolute wrong thing even though you know it would never be right. Now you know, don't you, that God is calling you to a relationship with Him. But a relationship means nothing without perseverance. So where do we find the strength to carry on? Where do we find that as going, when going through the hard times and the difficult conditions and the things we deem impossible? Where, indeed, where do we find strength to carry on? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that you would be with us when we gather together. And you've promised that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. And so this morning, we're praying that these words that are shared today will find receptive hearts and minds, willing spirits, and positive actions. We pray, God, for your will to be done here. In these moments together, in Jesus' name, amen. Strength to carry on. Or my subtotal is, you might like it, it's a little bit, um, it's, it's a little cooler, as they say today. My subtotal is the art of stick to My friend, if you're struggling... I just want to take this slowly because some people are struggling and they've denied it so long that they, they, they can't really face the fact that they're struggling. And some people are struggling and they don't realize that they really are in a struggle. And there's so many questions and there's so many decisions and there's so many directions and, and they just don't know where to turn. But let me tell you this. If you are struggling, you are in good company. Listen to these words. George Washington said this, and I quote, We must never despair. Our situation has been compromising before, and it has changed for the better. So I trust it will again. If difficulties arise, we must put forth new exertion and proportion our efforts to the exigencies or demands of the times, end quote. Helen Keller said this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still 
I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. End quote. Vince Lombardi said this, Football is like life. It requires perseverance, self-denial, hard work sacrifice, dedication, and respect for authority. End quote. One of my favorites of all time is William Wilberforce, and Wilberforce said this, Our motto must continue to be perseverance. Boy, and it was. And ultimately, I trust the Almighty will crown our efforts with success. And did he ever do that? Ending slavery in Britain because of the perseverance of William Wilberforce. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this, By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Speaker Newt Gingrich said this, I love this definition, perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the hard work you already did. And if you need a few Bible examples of great persons who persevered through the worst of times and the most undesirable of conditions, check in on these folks, Joshua, Hannah, Job, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, the Apostle Paul, and Jesus. Yes, stick to or perseverance is a great virtue to possess. It's a much-desired spiritual discipline. It's one of the most crucial and most necessary of the spiritual disciplines. On this subject, which is so vital to our growth in Christ, because we have so many stop and start, stop and start, stop and start testimonies today. People who believe God, that's their mantra, and then they have made a commitment of some kind to Christ, and they start like on fire for a while, then they stop, then they start, then they stop, then they start, then they stop, and we have so much of that today. It's so vital if we're going to grow in Christ and be consistent. And so if you want to be that kind of Christian, try to remember these explanations. I think they're great. Perseverance is stubbornness with a purpose. Perseverance is not a long race. It's many short races, one after the other. When you are tempted to give up, your breakthrough is probably just around the corner. And I love this from the world of sport, especially boxing. Every champion was once the challenger who refused to give up. And this, if you listen on the inside, even in your darkest hours, you will hear God whispering these words. Something better is on the horizon. You see, the problem is no one sees the horizon whose head is always bent down. 
Now, this most honorable spiritual discipline, properly activated and led, of course, by the Holy Spirit of God, will eventually lead you to spiritual success in the sight of God, your Creator. And that's our goal. It's not success in the eyes of the world. It's not success uh, comparing ourselves to some other Christian or to some other leader or to someone else in your family. It's leading you to spiritual success in the sight of God. We have, remember, an audience of one. He is your creator. So with perseverance comes important ingredients or results, I'm going to call them, you can interchange them. And the first one, since we mentioned the word, is spiritual success. So picture it. A man is traveling down a long, long dirt road when he meets a guru. The man asks the guru, which way is success? The bearded sage did not say a word, but pointed to a place off in the distance. The man was thrilled by the prospect of quick and easy success, so he rushed off in the appropriate direction. <laughs> Suddenly, there was a loud splat. Eventually, the man limped back, tattered, stunned, assuming he must have misinterpreted the message. So he repeated the question to the guru, who again said not a word, but pointed silently in the same direction. The man obediently walked away once more. This time, the splat is deafening. And when the man crawled back, he was bloody. He was beat up. He just couldn't understand what was going on. He was broken. He was battered. He was irate. And so he stands right up to the guru and he says, I asked you which way is success. And he's screaming at the guru. I followed your direction and all I got was splatted. No more of this pointing. Answer me! Answer me! Finally, finally, the guru spoke. Success is that way, just past the splat. The man, you see, would have reached his desired goal if he had pressed on through the trials. What a great lesson. Some success comes through perseverance. Consider this. There once was a man whose life was characterized by failure. At the young age of 22, the business he was involved with, that it was his business, it failed. At 23, he ran for legislature, but was defeated. So he turned to another business, 
which failed when he was 24. At 25, things started to turn around when he was elected to the state legislature, but at 26, the love of his life, his sweetheart, died. He had a nervous breakdown at 27. He was defeated in his run for speaker at 29. He was defeated at 31 when he ran for elector, and he lost in his run for Congress at 34, but then he managed to win at 37. But he was defeated in his re-election for Congress at 39. He was defeated in his run for Senate at 45, almost 46. He was defeated in his run for vice president at 47. He was defeated for his run for Senate at 49. I got to tell you, this man was a stubborn mule. He wasn't a winning mule, but he was a stubborn one. He was defeated in life over and over and over and over, like you and I probably have never known, until at the age of 51, he was elected the 16th president of the United States. In fact, he would become one of if not the, excuse me for my opinion, greatest president in the history of our country. He is Abraham Lincoln, a devoted Christian. He endured through the hardships, the trials, the defeats, the rejections, and the failures, until one day he became our commander-in-chief. By the way, something that a lot of people don't know or overlook Mr. Lincoln was married at the age of 33. He and Mary Todd had four sons. One died at three. One died at 11. And of the two surviving sons, one died at 18 while the Lincolns were in the White House. And only one actually outlived both parents. You know what that story is? That is the story of the power of perseverance. It is vital, my friend, for success. It is important in your daily life. More significantly, it is essential for your spiritual life. We need perseverance. But, but, but how do we get it? How do we do that? Where do we find, the question for the morning, the strength to carry on through the hard times? Where? Perseverance is an important part of our spiritual lives, yes. Being that we are told to expect hardships and persecution as a result of our relationship with Christ, and we are, we need to be ready at all times. We were not promised this life would be easy. We are promised hardships. Life, have you noticed? Life has storms. The Christian life isn't about a blissful, problem-free existence but it's about a better way of living in relationship with God, your Creator. A relationship doesn't mean anything unless it endures trials and hardships. I've heard this story repeated to me over the years many times. Pastor, uh, a few years ago I had a good friend. Uh -huh. I consider him to be one of my best friends. Oh, okay, we spent a lot of time together and we shared a lot of good times. I thought he, he or she would be one of my best friends and I would be the, we would be BFFs and, and would just have each other for the rest of my life. And Then we had a small bump in the road. 
<laughs> and we lost touch. And I guess the friendship got tossed out. It was pretty insignificant stuff, but I guess the issues were too much to bear. And when hardships came along, the friendship went away. Maybe you've lived this, or you're living it. And I learned that it wasn't the friendship that I thought it was because it could not endure. It didn't have the strength to carry on through hard times. If you were to look at happy, healthy marriages, what you are most likely to find is not that these people managed to avoid all trials in their lives, never had a problem, or even that they experienced fewer hardships than most other people. That's right. What you will likely find is that they were committed to enduring no matter what comes. The strength and love that you see is a result of them undergoing hard times together and making it through to the other side where, past the splat. God doesn't desire a petty, shallow relationship with us either. My friends, he wants intimacy. He wants unity. And for that to occur, we have to be committed to turn to him in the hard times, to stay true in our relationship with him, no matter what life throws at us. Just as a relationship with a person means very little if it can't survive trials, so too a relationship with God means very little if it cannot endure hardships. And I'm asking it again. So where do we find the strength to carry on through hard times? And since you've been so patient, and I've asked so many times, we're going to answer that question. As we turn to 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, and I'm going to begin to read it, verse 10. You, however, he's speaking to Timothy here, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Verse 11. Persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, or Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Let's just stop there for a minute. Paul's reminding Timothy my life's an open book. You know, you know what I've gone through. You know what I've felt. You know what's happened. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will you say those last three words with me? Will be persecuted. Oh, which way to success? Beyond the splat. Hmm. Success. The second ingredient I want to throw in here is safety. 
I mean, have you ever really heard the story of Paul? Saul of Tarsus, he was. Met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and I, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about have you heard of when or how Paul's ministry began. I didn't ask you that. But I want to know: Have you ever heard the story of how Paul's ministry came to an end? Hmm. I want to tell you a story about the life of an amazing man. You see, Paul has lived a glorious life. He stood on Parthenon in Athens. He debated with the leading intellectuals of his day. He's been to the media and trade center of the world, Corinth. He'd been to Ephesus, the religious capital of the world. He had been to Jerusalem, where the temple of God was built. And in all of these places, Paul planted a church. In a radical transformation, when, where Paul encounters Christ, he had gone from persecuting the church to planting churches. Tell me that's not radical. He had been through every extreme. He lists a lot of them, floggings, shipwrecks, uh, uh, imprisonment, beatings. He'd been chased out of town. He'd been left for dead. Some of us believe that he did die, and the Lord raised him up. His life had been threatened. His own family had sworn an oath to kill him. He had endured all the extremes of life. You and I know nothing about any of those things. He was one of the dominant leaders in the early church. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament that we love to read. He wasn't just another name. Paul was the name. Well-known in that, in that uh, environment and in that world. Paul was the man to be. Few can boast about any of the types of things that he had that made his successful career so wonderful. And so many people have tried to compare themselves to the Apostle Paul. Oh, mistake number one. Paul was the man to be. He traveled by land and by sea all over the known world. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. He had seen countless converts. I don't think we could number them. And he brought many to a close relationship, a real vibrant living relationship with God. And of all the men in human history, few have had the impact on the world that the Apostle Paul did. Very few. His passion and zeal helped spread the gospel just like wildfire in that ancient world. Now, Paul's circumstances, when we see him here in this letter, the second letter to Timothy, is really starting, those circumstances are really starting to change. Everything's starting to be different. On the subject of safety, I want to... Just give you a, a verse to put in your notes. Proverbs 21, 31. It's always been one of my favorite verses. And the, from the old King James, it says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And in other uh, versions, you'll see in that uh, verse, uh, Proverbs 21, 31, that safety uh, has been, has, has, has been uh, moved, and the word victory, which is fine, has been put in there. But I love that word, safety. 
I looked up on my own just a few days ago 28 other Bible passages addressing the subject of safety and how we're safe in the hands of God. I, w- I want to ask you a question or two here. I'm not taking an aside, but I want to keep it in this whole idea of safety. Have you ever stopped and wondered what God has done in your life that you aren't even one bit aware of? Or maybe what he's doing in your life. You say, can you be more specific? Love to be. Maybe he healed you, your body, physically before you were even sick. Perhaps he saved you from a fatal car crash that never happened. I can tell you for one person, I've said this to many people over the years, I feel like God has protected me more times than I could ever count. So I can only imagine, you see, the times he has rescued me when I wasn't even aware that I was in danger. You were standing on the street corner and that car or truck came around so fast and there is just no physical way that that could have, could have avoided you and not hit you, but it, but you, and you weren't even aware of it. You didn't even see it coming. You don't even know what happened. I'm going to repeat that. I feel like God has protected me more times than I can count, so I can only imagine the times he's rescued me when I wasn't even aware that I was in danger. So I thank him every day for watching over me even when I didn't realize it. What an awesome God we serve! Paul was coming off a long, fruitful ministry all over this Galatian region of Asia Minor. And these cities that are named are cities in in, in what is modern-day Turkey. And he and his colleagues had spent the winter of 56-57 A.D. in Corinth before sailing to Jerusalem. Now, whatever his goal was in heading to Jerusalem, we don't know, we're not told, but his mission didn't go as planned. It was in Jerusalem that some old enemies caught up with Paul and they brought up false charges against him. Those old enemies are still at work today. They'll say anything and do anything to put you down and to disprove you even though they know they're lying to do it. He was taken into custody by the Romans. First he sent to Caesarea uh, to stand trial before the procurator, the, the, the uh, deputy governor, if you will, Felix, where he was detained for two years. Sounds like our justice system. And then finally, Paul exercised the right of a Roman citizen. He said, I don't have to stay here. I'm a Roman citizen. So I'm appealing to be heard before Caesar. Guess what? He sent to Rome, where he was kept under house arrest. Guess what? For another two years. Yeah, sound familiar. Until his case was brought before that Roman court, that Supreme Court of Rome. While we can't be sure uh, there's good evidence to support that Paul was acquitted, I mean, right then nothing happened to him. And that would have been likely uh, around, that was around 62, a year of travel, 
two years, two years. So that'd be around 62 AD. Tradition would then indicate that Paul was later arrested again. <laughs> I guess they didn't have double jeopardy then in, in the court system. And he was subjected to a more extreme imprisonment and a trial in which there would be no acquittal. And they knew that going in. So this is the set setting. Think about it. You, you know, you read the New Testament, you think, oh, it's so lovely, and I just love to read where Paul's talking to Timothy. This is the setting, my friend, in which Paul writes 2 Timothy. He's in that old Mamertine prison in Rome, and if we look at 1 Timothy, we see many of his concerns have just reappeared. Sort of like deja vu all over again. Because here in the second letter... They have a far greater sense of urgency, but they're the same problems. And this is one of, if not the, I'm not sure, Paul's last letters, not only to Timothy, but to anybody. And so, that year now is about 65, like you care, or 66 AD. But I just want to keep things in chronological order, which is only a year or so before Paul is killed. Now, the only time Paul will leave that prison is to walk the Ostian way, where he is beheaded. So Paul writes near the end of his life this last letter to Timothy. Paul found Timothy when he was a young boy, probably, uh, probably 15 or 16. Timothy would travel with Paul as he preached the gospel all over the known world. Paul and Timothy had been through a lot together. In 1 Timothy, Paul had encouraged Timothy to stay in, the, in, in Ephesus and to keep doing the Lord's work. But seeing that his end is near, now Paul greatly desires to see his spiritual son again. So he asked Timothy to come to him. Success, safety. I want to add a third thing here. Support. The picture that we get of Paul, I, I always kind of liken it to the picture of an old war hero. In his prime, he'd been a great warrior, that's for sure, for the gospel. And men and women would sing his praises, and crowds would gather around him wherever he went. He'd been at the pinnacle of fame, but old age gets the better of the best of us. So we have this old man, all alone. Most of his followers have moved on or forgotten about him. The excitement of the crowd's cheering has faded. The lights have gone out. All that is left from the glory days of Paul's life is the fleeting memory of an old man. Vision now starting to fade, beginning to go blind. He's lonely. And for all the things Paul did and all the lives that he impacted near the end, can I say it again? He is utterly alone. Many of his friends and fellow workers have deserted him. My, and what he really wants now is just to see Timothy one more time. So he writes this in the fourth chapter, if you'll just slip up to the ninth verse of chapter 4, 2 Timothy. He says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. He's history. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. 
Verse 11, only Luke is with us. Oh, look, you could count on the old doctor, couldn't you? Dr. Luke was going to stay with him, going to stay right there. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in the ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul's cold. Paul is alone. Paul is looking for something to hold on to. And at the end of his life, he wants to see something that he's accomplished. So he looks to one of his last standing disciples, Timothy. Timothy is very much Paul's protege. And Paul is giving Timothy his last few lessons before his time is up. Listen to me very carefully. I'm going to go into an area here that I really want your attention because I believe the Holy Spirit kept me up half the night just thinking about this. And and I'm not exaggerating that. Everyone needs help, encouragement, and support. I'm sorry my voice is a little weak this morning and the mics aren't working. Everyone needs help, encouragement, and support. A farmer had some adorable little puppies that he needed to sell. So he painted a sign advertising the four pups and set about nailing that sign to a post on the edge of his yard. Well, as he was driving the last nail into the post, he felt a tug on his overhauls, and he looked down right into the eyes of a sweet little boy. Mr. Mr. I want to buy one of your puppies. Oh, well, said the farmer as he rubbed the sweat off the back of his neck and his brow. Uh, These puppies, son, came from very fine parents, and they cost a good deal of money. The boy dropped his head for a moment, and then, reaching deep into his pocket, he pulled out a handful of change, and he held it up to the farmer. I've got 39 cents, is, 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 is that enough to take a look? Sure, said the farmer. And with that, he let out a whistle. Here, Dolly! Here, Dolly! And out from the doghouse and down the ramp came Dolly, followed by four little balls of fur. The little boy pressed his face against the chain-link fence. His eyes danced with delight. The dogs made their way to the fence. The little boy noticed something. Something else is stirring inside the doghouse. Slowly, another little ball appeared. This one, noticeably smaller. Down the ramp it slid. Then in a somewhat awkward manner, the little pup began hobbling toward the others, doing its best to catch up. I want that one, the little boy said, pointing to the runt. The farmer knelt down at the boy's side and said, Son, you don't want that puppy. He will never be able to run and play with you. He won't be like these other dogs. With that, the little boy stopped. 
He moved back from the fence. And he began rolling up one leg of his pants. In doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his leg, attaching itself to a specially made shoe. Looking back at the farmer, he said, You see, sir? I, I don't run too well myself. And he will need someone who understands. And with tears in his eyes, the farmer reached down and picked up the little pup. And holding it carefully, he handed it to the little boy. How much, sir? No charge, answered the farmer. There's no charge for love. Christian, this world is full of people who need someone who understands. Right in this room, right here, more than likely right now, that someone might be sitting in front of you, might be behind you, might be next to you, might be in the same row that you're in, I don't know. But that person needs somebody who understands. Somebody who cares. Somebody with compassion. Somebody who can make a difference. Do you know anybody who needs somebody who just understands? Second Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. May I just alert you? That time has already come. Instead, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh boy, I don't even want to read this next verse. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn instead, they will turn aside to myths. Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which our Lord, the righteous judge, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also unto all who have longed for his appearing. Can you even imagine? We often see Paul as the, as the superman of the New Testament who is never affected by anything, but that is not the case. Paul's no different from any one of us. He gets cold. He gets lonely. And he wants to know that his life meant something. He may have had no idea just how much God would use his ministry in the years to come. Paul endured so, so, so much. The impact that Paul had, and by the way, 2,000 years later, is still having on this world was a result of his perseverance. Paul endured great opposition, suffering, hardship, trials. He experienced the worst things that life could offer, and he did so without ever giving up. Paul had something to hold on to. We see it in verses 7 and 8 here. He fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith, and now he's ready for the crown of righteousness. Paul endured so much, he remained faithful because Paul found the strength to persevere. So where do we find the strength to persevere through hardships? The same place Paul did. In that growing relationship with Jesus Christ, Right? In his love for God and in the safety of the kingdom of God. Paul lived this life not for this life, but for the next. He endured what came and pressed on so he could get to reward. You see a runner, we see a lot of this now with the pre-Olympic stuff coming up and the Olympics soon to follow, hopefully, as a runner must focus on the prize at the end of the race to push through the pain some of them have stories that are just incredible. The pain that comes along the way. So we ought to focus our eyes on the prize that is set before us too. We ought to focus ourselves on the kingdom of God. The life we will have with Him. The relationship unbroken which we can know as His child. Mm. I tell you, when we have God... When we, have, when we have the riches that await us in our life with him, this I just want as your encouragement and affirmation, then we find all the strength that we'll ever need to endure whatever the world throws at us. And it'll build your faith and build your faith and build your faith like nothing else. You say, what about the pain? Look, whatever pain you're feeling... What about the hardships? Whatever hardships come, whatever difficulties you face, whatever heartaches you, you're feeling, whatever happens in this life, one thing we know, it is all temporary. Every bit of it. It's all temporary. All that pain and suffering is but a fleeting moment compared to the prize that awaits at the end of the race. So today... We must not grow weary. We must not lose heart. We must not give up because life can be hard, but we must focus on things to come so that we might find the strength to endure. Yes, the strength.
to carry on. God is calling Jesus' followers to a relationship with him. Earmarked and sustained by perseverance and by sincere thanksgiving. With that in mind, I'm going to close. I'm going to have a prayer. I want to pray for you and with you, but I want everybody that names the name of Jesus and everybody who's seeking, and you're here today and you've heard this message, it's not by accident, but I want you to join me. I want us to do something together. We seldom ever do this type of thing in this setting, but let's just take a moment. If you could just take a, a mini minute, just a, a short minute, and just, just erase all that other stuff that's fighting for attention in your mind, and just listen to me really carefully. Let's take a moment with no one leaving or moving around. You've never had a pastor ask you this before. But let's thank, give thanks to God for all the problems we don't have. And a great homework assignment for every day this coming week is to do that. Just take time to thank God for all the problems you don't have. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, thank you so much that your love for us is so sincere, it's so true, it's so eternal, it's so proven that we too can be sincere and honest about our relationship. Lord, help us right now to just take a moment in this quiet and before we continue to worship you and song and praise, Lord, help us every person here to pray this prayer. Lord, thank you for the problems that I don't have. Bless these words, Father. May they be more than words. May they be notes of action for every one of us. And may we go forward in the strength you provide to carry on. In Jesus' name, everyone said.